Certainly it is good for us to be here. We say that not just as a way to introduce our services or to introduce a sermon, but it is indeed a pleasure to stand before our God and to kneel before him because we come in worship of him today. And we're thankful that you have chosen to develop a closer walk with our God and with our Savior And that that is our objective today, to sing these songs that draw us closer to each other and draw us closer to him, to partake of the Lord's Supper, which will enable us to, as we have already prayed, proclaim the death of our Savior, Jesus the Christ, and the fact that he is risen from the dead, and to study together. invite you to open your Bibles, if you'd like to, to the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, chapter 14. And we are going to spend some time looking at a passage there in Exodus 14. Thanks to all who are present here this morning. We have a number of individuals that are back with us after having traveled or been sick. Tis the season for the sicknesses that are going around. And we are glad to have you back with us. We have a number of individuals visiting with us. And please, as to our members, uh, as a reminder, look around to see faces that may not be familiar uh, and engage with them as much as you would with those with whom you have a familiarity. And we are glad that they are here. In Exodus chapter 14, it is a scene that is one of desperation, It is a scene of despair. It is a scene of dismay. It is a scene wherein God's people are seemingly trapped and there's no way out. And of course, this is the famous Red Sea crossing where it looked as if they were doomed and nothing was going to come from this except their death or at the very least, their return back to Egypt unto the power of Pharaoh and to a new enslavement that would come their way. But there in Exodus chapter 14, begin reading there in verse 11, they says, because there were no graves in Egypt as they complained to Moses, have you taken us away to die in the desert or in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? These were the very people that were carrying around posters saying, we love Moses, we love Moses, just hours earlier because of his deliverance and, of course, that which belongs to God himself. But now they are not very happy with Moses, and they're blaming him as the leader for bringing them into this desert to die a horrible death at the hands of the Egyptian armies. In verse 12, is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And then if you're reading from the New American Standard or maybe some of the other more uh, newer translations, The phrase that I'm really focusing on here is in verse 13. Moses says to the people, do not be afraid. The New King James says, stand still. The New American Standard says, please stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today for the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. 
please stand by. I love that phrase. And I remember uh, coming across that phrase uh, in the New American Standard version and maybe the ESV, if I remember correctly, uh, about a year or so ago. And I thought, that is amazing. The idea of Moses saying, hang on, stand by. God's going to do something great. He's going to do something great that you will not imagine, that you cannot envision, that you cannot anticipate. It is going to be spectacular, but just wait on the salvation of the Lord. You're going to have to be patient and wait. As our brother Creech and I were talking this morning, we are in many ways weight trainers. You can obviously tell I'm, a, I'm very avid in my weight training. Um, that's where... A joke falls badly, I suppose. But we are all weight training, W-A-I-T training, right? We are all training to wait on the Lord in our own lives, sometimes in the life of our congregation, but certainly in the lives of all of us collectively in waiting for the Lord. Please stand by and wait on the Lord. Please stand by. But sometimes waiting is a very difficult or hard thing to do. And we stare at the clock and we look at our cell phones and we say, it's not that day yet. Sometimes we are waiting for all kinds of big events that would otherwise happen in our lives. Some of you like to plan vacations and some of us like to plan vacations, maybe three months out or maybe six months out. And some of us really uh, think about what's going to happen 12 months from now. I'm going to be able to go on a vacation. Waiting is hard and the anticipation is hard. Uh, Some are here and they are excitingly waiting on a new baby and others have just recently welcomed a new baby into this world and we are delighted for those families. But waiting is sometimes hard, especially for mom as she's waiting for that day to arrive. Or you may be seeking and have been promised a promotion or a new job, and you say, I really want that to happen because I'm tired of the old job. Waiting is hard. The whole idea of standing by and being patient. But there is much to be said about waiting on the Lord and waiting for his ways and the ways in which he does things. And that's what I want us to focus on in, our, in the text today, not just in Exodus chapter 14, but in other passages that we'll look at here in the course of the next few moments. But I want to start by looking at the account of Moses and the people in Exodus chapter 14. Now, you are likely familiar with Exodus 14. If you're not, that's no cause for alarm. We're going to try to make you a little more familiar with what's going on here in the context of Exodus 14 by outlining the text very briefly and doing so in very rapid succession. I want us to start with Exodus chapter 11 and turn back to Exodus 11, and we're just taking a real kind of cursory look at what's going on in these particular chapters. You remember that God had told Moses, you are going to be my spokesman along with your brother Aaron, and you are going to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go because I'm going to rescue them from this bondage. And of course, Moses was, shall we say, reluctant to accept that particular position back in chapters 3 and 4 of the book of Exodus. And then God gave miraculous powers both to Moses and then entertained the miraculous powers that he himself maintained in a series of nine plagues. 
water into blood, frogs, boils, you name it. If it was bad, it was going to happen to the people of Egypt. And then finally, you come to verses, uh, chapters 11, 12, and 13. And the 11th or the 10th plague here in the 11th chapter is introduced or announced. It is going to be the death of the firstborn. And then over the course of the next few verses in chapter 12, you see the announcement of the Passover and the institution of the Passover. And this is the first time that people uh, who call themselves Jews and those who would follow in the the next uh, 37 books of the Old Testament, that they would refer to the Passover because of the passing over of the angel who would not Uh, touch the household of those doors that had been spread with the blood of the Passover lamb. And then in chapter 13, you see the law of the firstborn introduced, which is an interesting text in itself. And then Exodus 14, after the death of the firstborn, Pharaoh says, that's it. I've had it. You've convinced me. I am no longer interested in having these people. These people have been a thorn in my side, and now my child is dead as a result of their God. I want them out of here because I don't want any more bad happening in my nation. And so by the time chapter 14 rolls around, as we described just a couple of moments or so ago, we find Moses and the Lord's people seemingly trapped, doomed to despair and to death. And it is in this context that Moses makes the statement that we're focusing on today when he says, please stand by, wait on the salvation of the Lord. Let me suggest to you two or three things as we examine this text and as we examine this thought process today. And that is, first of all, we've got to learn to wait. And waiting is the hardest part, someone once said. And if it weren't for waiting, things would be easy. We talk about different scenarios wherein it's difficult to wait. But we, as human beings, and might I submit that especially people in Western culture in the United States and other places can be a very impatient people. And we do not like waiting. I mean, we get upset when we have to wait three minutes in the drive-thru. We get upset when we read the box that comes out of the freezer and it says, I've got to wait a whole three minutes on the microwave to to cook this meal that two or three generations ago would have taken 45 minutes to an hour and a half to prepare. We are a very impatient people. And it seems to me that we have always been impatient, even without the advent of microwaves and drive-thrus and things of such sorts. I want to look at, at three Psalms here very quickly here, one of which we looked at in our Wednesday night study just a couple of days ago. But I want to start in Psalm 46, and we could read the whole psalm because it's a a beautiful psalm, and uh, it has a number of different messages in it that are important. It starts out by saying that God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. And then drop down to verse 10, near the very end. It says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, verse 10 does not say, 
uh, be patient, nor does it say stand by, and, and nor does it say stand still, so to speak. It says be still and know that I'm God. But the essence of that statement is so simple, but yet so profound. To a group of people in the United States, which we all are in the United States, we've come from various places around the world, some of us, but we have difficulty being still and just letting God be God. We've got to fix it. We've got to make it better. We've got to make things better and improve things. And certainly there's something to be said for industrious work on our part, but sometimes the best thing that we can do is just be still and let God be God and pray to him. Some of us have difficulty being still, period. (laughs) But that's what God has commanded us to do in a spiritual way. Drop back to Psalm 37, which we read just a couple of days ago in our Wednesday night Bible study. Psalm 37 is more uh, lengthy than Psalm 46. But go to verse 7, where it says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. If you want to mark in your Bibles Exodus 14, 13 out to the margin of Psalm 37, verse 7, it seems to me that those are well-correlated verses together. Now, there's a number of years between David writing Psalm 37 and Moses uttering those words in Exodus 14, but they're saying the same thing. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Because the man who brings wicked schemes to pass, cease from anger, forsake wrath, don't fret, because it only causes harm. Simple. This is not rocket science, as they say. But this is hard to do. But but what about, God says, just don't fret. What about this? Be still. I don't know what's going to happen in my job situation, in my marriage, with my children. I don't know what's going to happen 40 years from now. Just be still. Please stand by and wait patiently on the Lord. And then back up to 10 chapters or 10 Psalms earlier in Psalm 27 and verse 14. Wait on the Lord. We do not like to wait. We don't like having to wait. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So there's so much to be said in the Psalms. But go to the powerful book of Lamentations, which doesn't get a lot of attention in our reading. Now, I say that uh, in a generic sense because we are, at least we try to be good Bible students and we read the book of Lamentations. As an aside, a couple of years ago, I was asked to do a meeting in, in the desert in Southern California. And uh, the desert is one of those places where you either love it or you don't like or, or, you, or you hate it uh, in terms of the weather and in terms of what goes on there. Uh, but I was asked to do a gospel meeting. I did a full week gospel meeting on the book of Lamentations, and they never asked me back. <laughs> it was the saddest week. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. kidding. No, I'm good friends with some of the brethren there still. Uh, I'm not sure if I'd ever 
uh, now that I'm a little bit wiser, do a full week on the book of Lamentations. But it was an interesting study. At least I thought it was, because there's so much in this book of Lamentations. And it's a very sad book. It's a book about lamenting. It's Jeremiah saying, my people have been uh, brought to this low point because of our disobedience to the Lord. But there in Lamentations 3 and verse 25, the Lord is good. This is one of the most optimistic places in the book of Lamentations. It says, God is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. That to me is a powerful statement. Easy to understand, easy to read, beautiful to express, but hard to put into practice. I'm going to wait patiently on God. In short, I would submit that we have to do a better job of being patient with the Lord and standing by for him to do whatever he is planning to do. Because the fact is, is we can witness God's greatness. And we've witnessed it in our lives. In your own individual lives, you have seen God's greatness. In the life of your family, you've seen God's greatness. In the life of this congregation or the congregation that you may be a part of in various places around the country or the world, you've seen the greatness of God. Because even in troubled times where you feel like you are uh, having your back against the wall and you are trapped like the crossing of the Red Sea, we can witness God's greatness. We could spend a good 30 minutes just talking about examples of that, but let's spend three to five minutes looking at three examples. For example, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8, you see in the days of Noah where God says, I'm going to destroy humanity. But there in verses 6, 7, and 8, it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know, God could have chosen to say, you know what? Eight measly people compared to however many people are going to die is so minuscule. Let me just start over completely. But God always sees and shows grace to those who are humble, James 4 verse 6, and indeed found grace in the eyes of the Lord was Noah. In the days of Lot, God showed grace and kindness to Abraham's nephew, to someone that was so close to him, to someone that was so important to him. And he could have destroyed Lot and said, just, let's just get rid of the whole lot. But he didn't. He says, we're going to save those that need to be saved. And then perhaps one of my favorite examples of God saying, I'm going to do something great is in the days of Habakkuk. Go back to that minor prophet Habakkuk that, like the book of Lamentations, may not get as much attention. I, will, I have said before from this pulpit uh, and from other places that Habakkuk is probably my favorite of the minor prophets. And the reason is because of the uh, lesson that I'm trying to get at today. That first uh, and second chapter of Habakkuk is powerful. The whole book is powerful. But what's happening here is Habakkuk is asking a question that we ask as well, where basically say, God, 
Have you forgotten about us? Are you no longer in control? The way that he words it, he says, how long is this going to go on? Verses two and three. Why do you show me iniquity? Why are my people suffering? I know we've done wrong, Habakkuk might say in in great big parentheses, but how long is this bad stuff going to happen? And to make it worse, it's going to be the Chaldeans. It's going to be the Babylonians that are going to be the ones to render punishment on God's people. And I love verse 5, where God comes along and he says, look. And when he says, look, I, I can see God just putting up both his hands and saying, hold up. Please be patient. Please stand by. I'm going to do something that if I were to tell you what I'm going to do, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't imagine it. Because remember, Ephesians chapter 3 tells us that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And we limit God and say, well, God's not able to help me with this financial difficulty. God's not able to help me with this marriage challenge. God's not able to help me with this particular issue that I'm trying to work out with my children and raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Because there's never been a problem like this before in, in, in humanity or in history. God says, please be patient. Just trust me. Doesn't mean that there's not things for us to do. And sometimes we have those concerns to go back to our Wednesday night class. But we are not anxious where we give ourselves over to that worry. He says in verse 6, Indeed, I am raising up the Babylonians or the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nations, to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. And he says, I know they are terrible. I know that they are dreadful. I know that there is no dignity in them. But you're just going to have to trust me. Please stand by. And wait for the salvation of the Lord. But my question is, and this leads us to the next major point that I wanted us to make in our study today, is what is the salvation that we wait for? After all, go back to Exodus 14, go back to the Lamentations chapter 3, and you see that phrase, you just wait on the salvation of the Lord, please stand by. So I think it's important for us to look at a word that we use so frequently, the word salvation. And we use that word left and right in religious discussion, in prayer, in Bible study. But what does it really mean that salvation to be understood or to be explained? I found it interesting that the word is used some 165 times, give or take, depending on the version that you're using in the Bible. That's a lot of occasions that the word salvation is used. Just as an aside, sometimes we talk about the word Christian is used a total of three times in the New Testament. So you have here the use of salvation 165 times. But what does the word actually mean? Well, some of you may have footnotes or study notes in your Bibles, or you may have written notes uh, in those 165 locations where the word salvation has been used. But in the Greek, it conveys the idea of deliverance or being preserved. And so when someone throws you a life preserver because you cannot swim or the waves are too... uh, Uh, are beating against you as you've fallen off the boat. They throw to you a life preserver. They're throwing to you a life saver that will save your life that you can grab onto and have deliverance and have salvation. Now, generally speaking, we talk about salvation in 
eternal and spiritual tones, but that would be salvation. You would say, thank you for saving my life. Thank you for making it so that I could be delivered. I love the Hebrew, and I came across this just a few weeks ago, and I thought, I'm going to include this. But in the Hebrew, it includes the concept of room or space. Room or space. And I thought about that, and I said, I'm going to come up with my own definition of salvation. Forget about Webster's. Forget about Miriam. I'm going ping. And I thought, well, what does salvation mean to me based on all these definitions and the 165 instances? And I thought about this. Literally what is happening is that God is providing a safe place for his followers. We sing Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me, where we can hide in that safe place and where God says, I'll protect you. We sing that old song that we haven't sang in probably, I don't know when, I, I, maybe since I was a little boy, in the hollow of God's hand, the idea of being there in the palm of his hand and he's gonna keep me safe and he's gonna there to protect me. That's salvation. So when a person says, I need to be baptized, they are recognizing the need to find a safe place away from Satan and away from sin. A safe place is the salvation. And so we go back to where we began where he says, please stand by and wait on the safe place of the Lord. Let me share with you a bonus passage this morning that uh, I came across as well in the book of 2 Chronicles, and you may know where we're going here in chapter 20. Go back to chapter 20, and we're going to read a couple of verses, including verses 12 through 17 here in just a moment. But this is uh, the occasion where uh, Jehoshaphat, has prayed to the Lord back in verse 5. And incidentally, we just recently spent our time talking about how Psalms help us pray. Numerous Old Testament passages, including 2 Chronicles 20, can help us learn to pray more effectively as well. So in verse 5, he says, he stands before the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem, and he says, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not the God in heaven, and do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might, so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God, who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And he goes on to say, God, you have a proven track record of doing good for your people, without a doubt. And we are now in a time of distress because the enemy, namely the Ammonites and the Moabites, were, was a formidable enemy. And so God comes along in verse 12, and let's pick up in verse 12 and read just a couple of verses here. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Isn't that beautiful? We don't know what to do. We are uncertain of the future. It looks desperate, but we're looking at you. God says, hold up. Please stand by. I've got it figured out. You know, if you were to read verse 12 and someone said, that sounds like Exodus 14, you'd be right. They'd be right. That sounds very much Exodus 14-like. 
Now all Judah with their little ones, their wives, little children stood before the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Madaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. In verse 15, listen all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. And listen you, King Jehoshaphat. I thought that was interesting. Listen you, King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. What do you mean don't be afraid? They are encamped around us. They are here to destroy us. He says, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed because of the great multitude for the battle is not yours, but God's. Sounds like a song because it is, right? Tomorrow, go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. And then verse 17, you will not need to fight in this battle. And I can just see uh, the military leader saying, what? No, no, we, we've been training for this. This is our job. We have to fight. We may die. And he says, no, you're not going to have to fight in the battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the deliverance or see the salvation or see that I provide you with a safe place of the Lord. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them for the Lord is with you. God was still in control and simply needed the people to please stand by. This is the God that we serve. A God that says, you think that you've got a problem with your employer that you cannot deal with? Stand by, trust in me. It may get a little bit messy. You may lose your job, but I'll provide for you in some way. You think you've got a problem with your students. You've got a problem with your teacher. You've got a problem with your coworker. You've got a problem in your family. You've got a problem with your finances. You've got a problem with you fill in the blank. God says, if you trust me, stand by. Let me do the worrying for you. And of course, God doesn't worry. He just delivers. Now, the caveat to that is that in a world of religious people that will say, you turn it over to God and God will, will bless you tenfold. Well, financially, you may not be blessed tenfold. And you may lose your life. And First Peter says, you may suffer in this cause. But it's worth it. Because our home, our salvation, our safe place is in heaven. So let's conclude with this, and let's bring it home to each of us, and that is this. What about in our marriages? Can we be still and let God be God? And there are individuals that I've talked to just in the last few months whose marriages are not what they should be, but God is able to make it better. Now, it requires everyone man and woman, woman and man, committing to that. But God is able to, to do so. There's never been an occasion where I've sat down with a husband and wife, with elders or with other preachers or by myself, where their marriage is in such disarray that I honestly believe that it was beyond repair. Because it is with repair, with God possible. 
And the same is true in your own spiritual journey. You may say, I'm stagnant right now in my spiritual journey. My Bible study isn't where it needs to be. My prayer life isn't where it needs to be. My giving isn't where it needs to be. My doing good for others isn't where it needs to be. God says, if you work with me, I guarantee that I will work with you. Just a closer walk with thee. And I appreciate that song being led just a few moments ago. And we've talked about so many different occasions where in your employment, where maybe you're at a, at, a, at a breakthrough moment. Hold up. God says, stand by. I can make something good happen here. Sometimes the best thing that we can do is to be patient, to be, wait, to be awaiting people, and to be a people that just stand by. That is not easy to do in a marriage, in your own spiritual journey, in your employment, in your family, whatever the case may be, but we've got to do so. I hope this message is helpful. And as we conclude 2022 in the next two and a half weeks, three weeks, we've got to stand by and wait on the salvation of the Lord. But one thing that you ought not wait on is this and that is do not wait to obey. Because that's a different kind of waiting. You see, the patient waiting that we've talked about today is a waiting of calmness and assurance that God will provide, because he will. Jehovah Jireh, God will provide, the Lord will provide. And we are encouraging you to lean on that God and to have a closer walk with him in order to more effectively live your life in his service for the benefit of him and as a byproduct for the benefit of others. If you're not a Christian, don't wait any longer. Now is the time. Now is the day. This is the occasion for you to obey the gospel of Jesus by being baptized to have your sins washed away. If that's something you want to study further about and you say, I'm close, but I'm not altogether there, we'd be happy to, to, to talk with you and to answer your questions. If you're a child of God, you're not living correctly. Maybe because you've just been impatient. Be more patient and work to wait on the Lord and stand by. Allow him to work in your life and to do better for you because that's what he wants. But if we can pray for you or if there's public sin that we need to uh, acknowledge with you so that you can move forward in service to him, we'd be glad to help you any way that we can while together we stand and while we sing.